Hey folks, Shag here with a quick update before we begin the episode. Seems like I'm recording a lot of these intro tags lately. We recorded this episode earlier this week, before the news broke Thursday night. What news do you ask? Well, the CW is launching another spinoff from the Arrow and the Flash TV shows. This new spinoff will be a superhero team-up show, headlined by Victor Garber as Professor Martin Stein of Firestorm, Brandon Routh as The Atom, Wentworth Miller as Captain Cold, and Katie Lotz most likely reprising her role as Black Canary. Yes, folks, Firestorm will be a headliner on a new TV series. Unbelievable. Uh, there's no word currently on whether Robbie Amell will come back as Ronnie Raymond, but given that Robbie Amell's just had a big movie in the theaters this week, uh, CW's negotiations with him might take a little longer, but I suspect we'll see him in the long run. Incredible news. We, we couldn't ignore it, especially with the topic of this episode. All right, folks, as always, thank you for listening to the Fire & Water podcast, and now, on with the show. Exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the bedraggled Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? Unite the seven! <laughs> yes, folks, we are going to talk about, uh, as we've done quite a bit lately, uh, live action incarnations of our favorite characters. We're going to talk a little bit about Aquaman live action. We're going to talk a little about Firestorm live action. So very exciting to be back um, doing that. I, I really enjoyed doing the comics last week. It seems like forever that we don't get to do enough comics, you know, it seems like lately. <laughs> really? <laughs> Is that what it seems like? Well, it does feel that way because it's just there's so much stuff to talk about outside of it. I mean, for months and months and months on this show, it was like, hey, what do you want to talk about? I don't know. Let's talk about whatever we feel like it. And now it's almost like, wow, there's news actually driving what our episodes are going to be about. That is true. Yeah, there, there are lots of events that are flying around our characters. For the, it's so, so bizarre. Our so. characters, by the way. I just are characters. 
Right. Well, we own them. (laughs) Well, before we go any further, folks, let's just take a quick second to thank our sponsor. This episode of the Fire & Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, buddy? Uh, You know, usually I do a big preamble uh, as to why I'm picking a book. I'm not doing it this time. This time, it's just Frank Miller's Ronin. Uh, Back when... uh, (laughs) Yes. Was isn't that on purpose? No. Well, what is it? What? What? I don't get it. Um, dear, uh, what's it? Drago. What's his name? Uh, Jason Momoa. His mm-hmm. character on Stargate Atlantis was named Ronan. Oh, jeez. Oh, okay. So I thought you. I thought you picked that on purpose. Absolutely no. I've never seen Stargate, and I never will. So there was no connection <laughs> there. Uh, no, this was Ronan. You know, back when Frank Miller was, you know. Uh, he did this really cool series before Dark Knight, before all that stuff, and it was really unique and interesting about a 13th century samurai reborn in a computerized 21st century New York City. Uh, the collected edition, it doesn't list here how many pages in it, but it collects Ronin's 1 through 6, featuring all that really cool stuff, including the, the, the uh, three-page fold-out in the final issue, which is really awesome. The normal price is $19.99. In-stock trade price is $10.99. That's 45% off. If you've never read Ronan, give it a try. It is a really cool book and uh, sort of groundbreaking and still reads very well today. You know, I haven't ever read it. So if you were to place it like – because I guess it firmly was released in between like his Daredevil run and his Dark Knight Return run. After Daredevil, pre-Dark Knight, yeah. Right. Is it – does it feel like that a period in between? Does it feel like a bridge between the two, or what's it? I uh, no, it feels like a quantum leap from where Daredevil was to what he was doing. It's very unusual. It's just it's okay. a very, it was a very anti-commercial project, and I remember buying it at the time, thinking it was great, and I still I read it again a couple of years ago, and I thought it held up pretty well. It's it's just very interesting, and it was a. Uh, you know, not something you would see a major publisher probably do even nowadays. So <laughs> Jeanette Kahn really and Dick Giordano really believed in it, sort of shepherded it through and gave it really beautiful presentation. And it's it, it, it got eclipsed after Dark Knight, obviously, but it still, I think, remains one of Frank Miller's best works. <laughs> well, it's on the list of things I'd like to read someday. So that no, 11 no. bucks for $11 for all six issues collected. It's, that's a good deal. Nice. I want to read his Wolverine as well. So. That's good, too. Uh, my pick is also sort of out of the ether. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about comics and the writing of comics and how the comic book world works. So I picked out one of my favorite books. It's called Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud. Great book. It really is. It's, it is a fascinating book. And as you read it, you learn so much about the way a comic book works and why you read a comic book a certain way. And the stuff that just comes so intuitively and that a child can understand and picks up a comic, there's science behind that that you don't even realize. And it's written in comic book form. So it's, it's very clever. It's very, it's, it's very smart. It's enjoyable. The art's fun. You know, Scott McCloud's a fun artist. He's, he's very simplistic sort of. If you ever saw, anything, saw any of Zot stuff, you know that he's got a, a, a cute style. So anyway, 216 pages. Normally retails for $22.99. You can get it for 25% off right now. $17.24. If you are a fan of comic books after a long time and you haven't read this, you're doing yourself a disservice. You should pick it up. It's a Absolutely. great book. Really great yep. book. So, folks, you can get both of those at InStockTrades.com, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off, again, with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. So, uh, I do want to say, up on the front, before we get going, we've had some success uh, recently with our 
podcast feed through iTunes and Stitcher, whereas for months and months and months and months now, the older episodes have been dropping off of our feed. We could only fit, it was something like 123 episodes in our feed is kind of what it was. It's had to do with just the stupid RSS system and the way we had set it up originally. and our <laughs> The way I set it up. <laughs> well, I mean, whatever. You understood a lot better than me, so... Um, it dealt with our lack of understanding how, how iTunes works and stuff. So we, we just had been letting it slowly whittle away to the point where I think it was like episodes, I think the th- episode 30s were like the first ones out there, oldest stuff out there. Anyway, thanks to our good friend Michael Bailey who kind of walked us through it um, a while back and then our good friend J. David Weeder who actually provided us with an example of an XML file. We have now updated this and have now every single one of our episodes is available through iTunes and Stitcher. Woo! Yay! Uh, now, a couple of things. As If you're listening to this, you've probably already noticed a few people had a bit of a problem where, oh, I don't know, the entire catalog tried to load into their iPhones as brand new. That didn't happen to everybody. Some people only had one or two episodes that try to load. Some people had 20 episodes that try to load. Some people had 150 episodes that try to load. So that was a one-time hiccup. Uh, just as we transitioned from an RSS feed to an XML feed, we apologize for that. Shouldn't happen again. And also, I'm, I'm going to slowly work my way through the back catalog and try and improve the show notes. Because right now, the show notes are really basic. But at least all the episodes are there. So I'm excited. I, I have a type A personality. You know, you've heard of like type A personality? I'm kind of like a type A plus, so I would have trouble, like, I would, when I would go to sleep at night, I would feel like my house wasn't in order, because these episodes were missing, it was driving me crazy that much, so once it was done, it was just like I had taken a, like, quit smoking cigarettes and had taken my first breath of fresh air in years, I felt so good when it was done. Well, thank you, you're the, I should, Shag's being a little uh, humble, he's the one who really did it, I mean, he, he, I, I knew it was a problem, but I didn't know anything about it, and I was just sort of like, well... It bothers me, but I, I can sleep at night, I guess, over it. But uh, it, was, <laughs> it was bothering him. And so he spent hours and hours and hours preparing this XML feed. And so it's all fixed thanks to him. So if, And it's much better because I am much happier having all the shows on there. Because it's show. We did them all. We shouldn't, they shouldn't just disappear. And even though they're all available on the blog, realize people aren't really going to listen to them that way. They're going to be through, the, you know, through iTunes or through Stitcher. So thank you, Shag, because you, you did the show a great service. Happy to do it, but uh, you know, one of the things that was really sticking to my craw was our earliest Who's Who episodes weren't out there anymore. And having just finished, you know, the twenty-sixth episode, uh, it, it just really bothered me that people couldn't listen to the whole thing in a run if someone knew was coming at it. So, right. anyway, done now. All right, well, let's talk about uh, just right after we recorded last week, but before we released last week's episode, Warner Brothers released a little something, <laughs> a little something, something. You want, when you want to tell us what? Yeah, what, I mean, Zach, uh, Zach Snyder really needs to coordinate with us better in terms of his marketing. Uh, yeah, on Friday, they released the first ever official image of Jason Momoa as Aquaman. Woo! Uh, pretty amazing. Under a poster, under uh, on a poster under the tagline, Unite the Seven, uh, there is a shot of him with his, with his trident. That is going to be Aquaman. And, um, you know, that was pretty shocking. Um, you know, we, had, we had, did not hear anything. At least I didn't. Joe sometimes hides things from me. That about what was like, hides him in the couch cushion. Yeah, he does. Uh, and we, you know, I, we didn't know anything was coming. So all of a sudden, just boom, and there it is. And you know, it was neat that he got a poster all to himself. You know, I thought that was really cool. But that's kind of how they've been doing. I mean, they released that Wonder Woman image, and now it's Aquaman. So that was the big news. I mean, this is the first time we've ever seen what they have in mind. Um, it looks pretty close 
to what I thought it would kind of look like. <gasps> you liar! What are you talking about? Alright, you know what? I think we're going to do this. Folks, um, sit back, relax, and, and let's take a little trip down memory lane. Rob, why don't you go ahead and play that clip? <laughs> oh, this is going to be good. Okay. Alright, let me play this clip that, that checks. I have not listened to this yet. This is, this is, you'll be hearing me on, and this is, this will be me hearing this for the first time. Here we go. Previously on the Fire and Water Podcast. Look, a lot of this is marketing, is, is business decisions, and DC and Warner Brothers have spent a lot of money getting Aquaman back in his classic look for merchandising. They are not going to chuckle that out the window and stick him with a hook hand and beard and the metal shirt again. They're, just, they're not going to do it. He's going to look something. What? What, what is what? I think he'll be shirtless, and nope. I, think, I, I think he'll be sure. Dude, have you seen how ripped this dude is? I think he'll be shirtless, and I think he might have a beard. Nope. I'm saying that now. I'm putting money down. That ain't going to happen. Uh, All right. However much money you want to put it, fine, put, a dollar. We'll put a dollar on it right we'll, now. We'll, we'll be able to buy four quarter bin comics with that. There you go. Um, he yeah, that is. Shirt, he will be shirtless and he'll have a beard. Nope. nope. He may even have long hair. Nope. <laughs> How much time did you spend on that? Not that much. I happen to know exactly where to find it. So. All right. Well, I owe you a dollar. I'm going to be sending you something in the mail, and I'll throw a dollar in there. Yeah. I was, okay. That, that guess was completely wrong. They they did chuck everything pretty much that people knew about Aquaman and going for their own version. When I see it now, it, it I, when I hear myself say that on the clip, which is you know well done by the way, going out of your way to just embarrass me like that. Um, it. it I realized that these that Warner Brothers didn't care really what he looked like to the average person because they just that just wasn't in there, you know. It, when I saw the picture, it sort of makes sense to me now. I'm surprised I I was so firm about that. Maybe because I just didn't want to believe it. Um, well, it, it's very. See, I would actually say they didn't chuck everything because it is very close to the Peter David Aquaman. Yes, I mean, but, if you but, look, I, but nobody knows that look. Okay, I, I agree. It now it's been twenty years since he's had that look, but they did market it the hell out of that look twenty years ago. But it's just interesting that even like the shoulder piece is on the right, is on the proper shoulder. It's got the exact kind of straps across the chest, like it did. Um, the hair, the beard. I mean, it's other than you know tattooed like crazy. It, it's very much like the Peter David Aquaman. Other than you know, not the hook hand again. That was the Still, first but, thing I just. I was like, two hands. Thank God. <laughs> Did they show both hands in the picture? I didn't even think about that. Yeah, he's got he's got both hands. Okay. So I mean, um, yeah, I yeah, I I, I we t we talked about this on the shrine the the day after it came out, and then I was uh, interviewed the other day by my uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer. Somebody wrote Congra a piece congratulations. I saw that talking about it, and I I you know I, I've said it now twice in two different formats, so I'll, I'll say it again here, and that it's it's in the end. If he's written the way um, that I hope he's written, and that he is this you know noble heroic figure who is regards the protecting of the seas as his first priority, uh, then that'll be the Aquaman that I love and I care so much about. If he's written as this big Conan killer lunkhead guy, 
then it won't be the Aquaman that I really want to see. And it won't matter what he looks like. You know what I mean? Like it's the, the, the second day the what he looks like will be pretty is will will be secondary regardless of no matter how, how what it is they do with him. So if he's written poorly, I won't care that he doesn't look like classic Aquaman. And if he's written perfectly, then I won't care whether he's perfectly. I mean, in the end, I, I would love it if they had somebody make that looks like a Jim Apera drawing come to life. But I, you know, I guess that's just not in the cards. I'm a little, you know, I guess some part of me is a little sad that, you know, he's retained so little of his classic look when Wonder Woman essentially still looks like Wonder Woman and Batman, the same thing for Batman and Superman. But, uh, you know, they didn't ask me. Well, as we said, as you and I said privately, you know, we're going to have a talk with uh, Warner Brothers. Uh, Zach's really just—he's not—he's not, you know, connecting with us close enough and sharing information and not really inviting us to the enough of the meetings. So personally, I think that uh, he's kind of letting it go into his head. But um, I dig it. I think it looks pretty cool. I think I think Frank hit the nail on the head earlier in, in either his podcast or in his comments, basically saying that they're doing Namor. You know, they're doing a angry. King of the Seas is what they're doing, essentially. And so I, I think he's going to come across a lot more a lot more like Namor than he does Aquaman, which, honestly, Aquaman in the 90s was a lot more like Namor also. You know, that the anger, the rage, the, you know, how dare you pollute my oceans kind of stuff. So I think it'll be interesting to see. I, I, the tattoos were a bit much for me. Like, I, how, how do you tattoo underwater? Well, come on, they can come up with something that it's some mystical Atlantean squid ink. I mean, that doesn't bother me. Okay, well, I just, it's like, wow, that's a lot of tats. Like, at one point, I had a hard time distinguishing between the tats and the armor. But it is a clever way to show Aquaman's scaly shirt, you know, is kind of what that's supposed to almost represent. I don't know if you noticed that or not. I'm sure you did. Yeah. So I think he looks great. He's exactly how I expected him to look. The long hair, the beard, the, the Peter David looking, you know, anger and everything. It's interesting the Unite the Seven image. I wonder if they're going to have a poster for all seven of them. Like, you know, have a Batman picture, Unite the Seven. Have a Superman picture, Unite the Seven. Because right, that seems I, like what People have been saying that, but there's not seven. There's only six from what we're hearing. Well, there, Superman, no, Batman, right? Wonder Woman, Aquaman. Yeah. Cyborg. Yeah. Um, Flash, Flash, and Green Lantern. There's no Green Lantern in this movie. They have never said once that Green Lantern is in this movie. Oh, it's Firestorm. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> so all these people, all these people were like, "Oh, it's the set." First of all, it, it, I have. To, well, that's got to be what it is. They're called the Magnificent Seven, for God's sake. But, I mean, right? That's... Okay, but that's a tagline. But this tagline is aimed at the average movie-going audience. They don't know that there's seven people in the Justice League. They don't know that. True. That's for that's nerds like us. We we know that stuff. Right? But but that's what the tagline and the tagline's not for us. But I mean, it's obviously means something about the thing. Right. And if, it, but it, if this movie's about the Justice League coming together, it's got to be that. So there's there's a seventh Justice League, or we're just not privy to that. Maybe yet. so. Maybe so. I said maybe there is a seventh hero that they're purposely holding off mentioning. But so far, it's, they've only mentioned six. It's Quisp. Yeah. There you go. Uh, I mean, what someone else, um, Travis Fowler, a uh, friend of yours and friend of mine on Facebook, mentioned that it could be the Seven Seas, which I think would be oh wow, just as appropriate and probably and I think is more that's uh, cooler relevant to people's understanding of the world, uh, such as it is. And and someone else, I you know I have to say I was a little I don't necessarily want to go down this road um, what we're talking about this, but like I was there was a lot of um, comments popped up on the two different 
posts that I wrote about this poster, Friday and then Saturday. And man, did I have to fend off a lot of racist stuff. Um, cause there was a lot of people that are like really angry that a white guy was not cast as Aquaman. And I had to like spend part of my work day on Friday deleting racist comments, Jeez. which was not fun. Uh, and I'm like, you know, really, is this the way we're going to do this? And like someone else popped up and said, oh, well, this is clearly a reference to the seven kingdoms of Atlantis. If, if, if anyone's read the new 52, you'd know that. And I'm like, you seriously think that Warner Brothers is tagging this billion-dollar franchise to some event in New 52 that, like, <laughs> 30,000 people have read? This is not aimed at us. This is aimed at a bigger audience. So I, I honestly think Travis's theory is seems, in my mind, to hold the most water, as it were. Um, but I don't unite, know. Unite, unite, the, unite the seven oceans as if maybe – I mean, I realize it, it does sort of dovetail with that New 52 idea, but, you know, that there's seven different – kingdoms under the ocean and, and Aquaman has to unite all seven of them? Something. I don't know. I mean, the other thing we've heard, the other rumor that we've heard about him in this movie is that he has basically a cameo in this movie. Mm. I mean, he ba- it's like one appearance and he's that's it. So, I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be a giant shark leaping out of the water and eating a parademon. <laughs> That'd be cool. I, I'd take that. It's the shark from the Katy Perry thing. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I am, I'm Overall, I'm just thrilled that it's Aquaman in a movie. I wish he didn't look quite so angry, Namor, but that's, again, they didn't consult me. Um, <laughs> someone did a version of it where they, like, put some filters over where it looks like he's under the sea. Mm-hmm. It's all blue and hazy, and that looked really cool. Like, I know, I think they're trying to, you know, they're trying to establish that he's a real kick-ass, badass guy, and I think that they feel that this is the way they have to go. I don't necessarily agree with that, um, but, uh, again... The, the, after seeing the, the the Wonder Woman image and the Superman image and the Batman image and now the Aquaman image, this movie is going to be in color, right? Yeah, I know. Right. Well, that's the other thing is that the I don't obviously none of us know uh, what kind of um, uh, control Zack Snyder has over the marketing. He probably has some, but he probably doesn't have total. Uh, so I think whoever is doing these images really is having fun with the desaturated colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, unless the film is literally like in black and white, you're going to have more colors. And then, again, someone else did another version of it where they colored it as what they hope they think it is, and it looks—I think it looks better because you see some orange and some green and some flesh tone, and you know he looks like a real person as opposed to these very desaturated images. They did the same thing for the Wonder Woman image when that came out last year. <laughs> there was a funny one of Superman where someone took the the shot of him standing in the rain. And they basically, in Photoshop, brightened it up with, like, the sun, brought the colors up, and then made him smile and gave him a balloon. <laughs> and it was hysterical. And it was, like, night and day, though. It was, it was a completely different picture. Like, oh, wow, look at that. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's so hard to judge these things, obviously, because none of us knows what the story is, what any of it is. I mean, they've managed to keep, keep the lid on it pretty well. I mean, I'm not searching around purposely. Right. I don't want it to be ruined, but... Uh, yeah, so that's I, I'm very happy the fact that, that he's getting this much of a push. I mean, good lord, the, the the Twitter was trending Aquaman on Friday, which that's amazing. You know, not just the shrine, you know, but the whole the whole Twitterverse was was trending on Aquaman. So you know, it, it did what it was supposed to do, which was get people talking. I'm ex- I mean, I'm excited that Aquaman's going to be in the film. I'm actually, I think I'm more looking forward to the Aquaman movie than the Justice League movie, probably. And I think the way they're doing Jason Momoa is probably the right way to go to defend off 
you know, the, the, the spell they've got to shake with Aquaman being lame. They've got to fend off that ridiculous notion. And they've got to make Aquaman cool. And I think they're doing the right thing. The one thing I haven't felt yet, which makes me sad more than anything, doesn't worry me. I haven't gotten, like, the giddy schoolgirl, oh my gosh, Aquaman's real. I, I, I have that feeling for Firestorm now. Mm-hmm. But I don't have that for Aquaman. And I hope that changes. But if not, I'll I'll be I'll be happy with what we get. Again, I like the Peter David Aquaman, so I'm fine with this. You know. Yeah. <laughs> if he gets a hook hand, you know, I'll come over and I'll hold your hand, and help you cry, but I'll be I'll be okay oh, with. Oh God. It. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it'll be amazing the first piece of actual footage we get of him. I mean, depending on how large the cameo is, they may not, they may not get to see much. But when you when we see the first images from this movie in terms of some sort of mini trailer, that'll be amazing yeah, to see all this stuff actually in action. I'm super excited to see Wonder Woman. I really am. I mean, obviously I'm most excited over Aquaman, but I'm really excited for there to be finally be a movie Wonder Woman. I hope they do her right. I really do. So, I, I, I envision, like, the clip of Aquaman being him, you know, slow-mo coming out of the ocean, just big as life and water just shedding off of him. It's kind of how I envision the scene we'll probably see. Yes, that's that's sort of what I picture too. So uh, yeah. yeah, but it's very very Frank Miller Sin City esque is kind of what I because the color palette makes me think of that kind of style. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there's really not a lot more to say about Aquaman, but it's 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 a bit you know it's a big deal. You know he's not Aqua Bro uh, from Smallville. And he's not uh, skinny um, Green Arrow Aquaman from Smallville guy either. I can't remember his name. Who played it in Mercy Reef? Jason uh, Justin Hartley. Justin Hartley, which actually was so, until now was like you know my favorite version of live action Aquaman. I love Mercy Reef. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Looking forward to it, buddy. Yeah. Congrat- it, it, congratulations, sir. Huge. You're- it's a huge. Just it's neat to see him on this many people's lips. That's it's, yep. that's remarkable. So. We're going to transition on, folks. By the way, um, what, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Aquaman, we're going to talk about Firestorm, and then we're going to handle your feedback on the back end of this. And we, we've kind of targeted feedback from four or five different episodes that basically have all been about the live-action incarnations or or even the animation versions of our characters. Just feedback to play catch-up. So it's, it's all going to be sort of tied into uh, other media appearances. So that's how we thought we'd handle the feedback this time. So, But we are going to talk about Firestorm on The Flash, when we last talked about him at length, he had just appeared in an episode called The Nuclear Man. At least I'm pretty sure we talked about that, didn't we? Yes, we did. Uh, well, no. Wait, what was last week's episode? That was not well, Nuclear Man? What was, what was the title? What was the one where he... What was the one we were talking oh, hell, I don't know. Whatever. We're just going to assume we talked about The Nuclear Man. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure we did. So, um, I'm scrolling through my notes here. Hold on. I apologize. Okay. Uh... Yes, we re- we released an episode on February 16th. That was after the Nuclear Man episode. Okay. Okay, so the one after that. The one after that's what we're going to talk about. Which what's is, that one which called? Is, that's called Fallout. Oh, Fallout. Okay. Yes. It's confusing because you would think the one that Firestorm was the biggest in would be called the Nuclear Man. Well, he was biggest in both of them. I mean, basically, for two weeks, Barry Allen handed the show off to Ronnie Raymond and mm-hmm. Professor Martin Stein. It's kind of what happened. And it's interesting. Some people noted, and we'll get to this in the comments, is just while the Flash storyline sort of took a backseat for Firestorm, it didn't feel forced. It felt sort of organic because the show has been building to this all along, you know, since the beginning. So we finally got to see Ronnie, you know, and the Professor. So when we last left our characters, Ronnie and the Professor were merged in this Firestorm form. 
Professor Stein was in control of the body, but they were still sort of a merged consciousness. They were having trouble with it. They were taking antipsychotic drugs to keep their brain from being addled. And they figured out a way to separate the two. They thought. They put on a little device, and there was a, they went out to the Badlands, whatever they call it, which is kind of the outskirts of the central city. And there was a huge nuclear explosion, and, we, and it looked like that was the end of Firestorm. When in reality, it was Ronnie and the Professor fissioning, splitting. They were unfusioning, if you want. And they separated into two, two entities. And uh, so then for a short while there, Ronnie Raymond and Professor Stein got to live their independent lives. And forgive me, I'm going to do a brief recap. I should have mentioned that of the episode. So Ronnie got to reunite with Caitlin. And Professor Stein reunited with his wife, Clarissa. Uh, she does not have purple hair, by the way. And she is not an ex-wife. She's a current wife. That's a throw out for those of you who listen to our classic Firestorm episodes of the show. So... You know, everyone's happy, rah, rah, and then Ronnie and the professor start to notice that they have a connection. Like, Professor Stein is having some of the food cravings that Ronnie's having, and Ronnie is can sense when Professor Stein's in danger. And so, and ultimately, Professor Stein is kidnapped by the Kurgan, uh, General Wade Eiling, who wants the he secret He has of, a name. I, I, I gave him two names, the Kurgan and General <laughs> the, Wade Eiling. The actor, the poor man, he's not the Kurgan. Lex Luthor? From the just cartoons? <laughs> the guard from Shawshank Redemption? Exactly, exactly. So I'm going to keep calling him the Kurgan. Anyway, so I know his name is Clancy Brown, but it's more fun to say Kurgan. Who doesn't love that movie, right? Highlander? So good. Oh, so anyway. I'm not going to say anything. <gasps> do not speak ill of Highlander. <laughs> at, least, at least not the first one. So. I won't say anything. Then. You bastard. Everyone, hate mail. To Rob Kelly at the Aquaman show. No, no, no. We sent hate mail to J. David Weider. We're not changing that. (laughs) Is that the rule from now on? We decided that last week, yeah. Okay, we decided that. I love that. So, Ronnie the Professor, uh, sorry, Professor Stein is is captured by the Kurgan who says, I want the secret of Firestorm. And Barry gets involved. There's a bunch of other stuff. You know, there's a lot of subplots going on. I'm just, I'm advancing this quickly to get to the point that I want to talk about, which is where Ronnie and the professor decide to remerge into Firestorm. So rather than being an accidental merger or being a merger that they're fighting against, they both are willing participants and they form, oh my God, the actual Firestorm. Uh, Ronnie in control of the body. Professor Stein is the is just giddy as a school here. This is the giddy as a schoolgirl right here, mm-hmm. man. Um, Ronnie's can control the body. Professor Stein is the onboard, you know, uh, formless consciousness voice who sees in 360 degrees, and they working together as a team. Now we haven't seen transmutation yet. That's okay. I can deal with that. We've got fire powers. We've got fl- uh, you got flying powers. You've got uh, the you know this merged entity. Oh my god, it was so good. So, <laughs> dude, when they merge, first of all, first of all, the effect of them merging is gorgeous. It's really really nice. I've watched it eighty times probably, and um, that partially because I was trying to take some screen caps and I was having a real hard time, so I had to keep watching it over and over and over. So they merge. And when Professor Stein, you hear Professor Stein's like ghostly, ethereal voice in Ronnie's head. And he says, Ronald, behind you. Just like, I got goosebumps. I really did. I had the biggest, ridiculous smile on my face. Because I didn't think we were going to get that sort of classic makeup of Firestorm. Because there had been no indication that it was going to come together properly. I thought it was going to be you know, some television version of Firestorm. I didn't think he would re- resemble the real version of Firestorm. But he does! You know, um, 
all right, you're, you're being exceptionally quiet, which is not like you. So tell me what you <laughs> thought nice. of Firestorm. No, I mean, I, it's 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 as close to the comic book come to life as you could, more than you could possibly expect. I was about to say, as you could expect. It's more, it's it's funny that we're sort of going at this from sort of bipolar views, because the Aquaman we're getting is very different than the one from the comics. And this version, the Firestorm, done on a TV budget, is as close as what I, I don't, I can't imagine how they could be any more faithful. Well, the costume would be, I mean, the only thing that's really missing is the costume and the transmutation powers. I think but the we haven't gotten to the costume yet. They well, might do I, the costume. If they do a costume. I don't know that they need to. But anyway, go ahead. I, I interrupted you. I love that you said, you've been so quiet, here you go, and then you go interrupt me. <laughs> um, no, I thought it was great. It was, it had a, it was, it was enormous fun. I understand why people love this Flash show as much as they did, as much as they do, because especially, and that, that tag at the end of the episode with Grodd. Yeah, it's just it's the 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 sort of joie de vivre that the producers have. I think for the DC universe at this point, really is starting to show through, and I love that. I feel like they're not, in a weird way, it's it's like, and I don't want to again, I don't want to go down this road, but it's like by I think by having Aquaman look so different, it almost feels like the movie producers are pre-apologizing for the character. Yes. And I feel like the people that make Flash are not in that – they're not playing that game. They're just like, no, we're not apologizing for this world. This world is very silly. I mean they've done some things to gritty it up. I mean Flash with his parents being murdered, you know, his mom being murdered. I mean, you know, that was never ever part of the Flash story. But just – Actually, Jeff Johns made it part of the Flash a couple years ago. All right. So uh, – but that, that's a reinvention. I mean, yes. in terms of you know, for forty years, the Flash story was not a it was not an angsty story. It was True. you know, he was a happy guy. He was just had power. Well, of course, until Iris got killed. But um, but just by working in Grodd and working and just it just feels like they're just like yeah, let's just grab this with both hands. The silliness of the DC universe and let's do it live action because we have the budget to do it. We can do the effects now, and that's what Firestorm felt like. And I really did feel as though they have set this up so well that you could do a Firestorm show. I, I, I There's no inclination they're going to do that, but it, it, I feel like they'd be ready to. If they said, hey, you know what, we're branching everybody off into a Firestorm show, I would not be surprised at all because I feel like they've set it up that well. Actually, it could happen. There is, there, there's already, for months there's been a talk, there is going to be a Flash spinoff. Um, they haven't said what, or I shouldn't say a Flash spinoff. There's going to be another spinoff from the Flash Arrow universe. Wow. And the two running contenders, they won't tell anybody what it is. And I don't know if they've even decided it yet, but um, the two running contenders are the Atom uh, with, uh, what's his face, uh, Superman. Uh, Brian, Brandon, Brandon Routh. Routh yeah. Brandon Routh is the Atom, and you know, Robbie Amell is Firestorm is the other contender. Now, they could do something together. You know, Certainly, they could do that, too. You know, but... Uh, I, Brandon Routh's a nice guy. He doesn't strike me as a headliner, you know. Robbie Amell, he is. He's he's good. I, in fact, I wasn't sure how he would do on his own. So I've actually over the weekend I binged watch Robbie Amell's show from last year, which he headlined called The Tomorrow People, which was a reimagining of an old '70s show, British uh, show that I loved as a kid. And, uh, I mean, it's a really cheesy show in the 70s. I mean, super, the special effects are so embarrassingly bad. It makes Doctor Who look like high, high art in the 70s. But, um, so, but I binge-watched the hell out of it. And he makes a really good leading man. He's got the chops to do it. 
So I think a, a Firestorm spinoff in, now, is is very possible. Robbie Amell's not giving any hints. I mean, everyone's asking him. All the interviews are asking him, is it happening? He's like, look, I haven't heard a thing. What a you know, dumb thing like, to I, ask you've him, You've heard too. what I've heard. I haven't. Well, I mean, that's what that's what interviewers do. I mean, they that's always stupid. Ask, they always though. ask the questions. You know, he's not but... going to say. You know, like I don't know. It's just you're wasting everybody's time. What's he going to say? Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I'm going to tell you about it. Friday nights at nine. Yeah. You know? <laughs> he's, he's not going to say anything. We won't tell CNN, but you, you were the blog. I'll tell you. Yeah. Exactly. So, right. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, they. Uh, it's. I hope it happens. I mean, did, let me ask you though. I mean, did it? Feel once they finally merged, did it feel like the firestorm you and I are reading about in the comics, uh, the monthly stuff? Yeah, yeah. I'm. I said I'm. I'm amazed that they've translated it so faithfully. It's. It's yeah. really remarkable. Let me, let me put it this way: if they're not doing a spinoff, I'd be pretty shocked because they have spent a lot of time. There have been characters spun off into their own shows that have got way less. Uh, you know, support than this. I mean, this Mork, and Mind- Mork and Mindy, two episodes of Happy Days, his own show. Yeah. I mean, this is, <laughs> this has been extensive. And like I said, it, it's just been enormous fun. I love the whole bit with the pizza. You run flash because they get the pizza and all this stuff. And it's just, I said, it's, it, as a Firestorm fan, that you must be just thrilled because, it, well, you were, because last week you wouldn't shut up about it. You were so giddy. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, it's like I said, it's it's a nice counterpoint to what's going on with Aquaman, you know, where they they feel like they're running away from the core very visuals of the character. Here, they're sort of like just grabbing everything with Martin Stein. They're just doing virtually everything. I mean, uh, it's 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 a lot of fun. I I can't remember which one of us originally said this or who said it first, but uh, they they are making the Flash show. It's it, they are unabashedly grabbing the the DC universe and hugging it is yep. what they're doing. Like if you look at the Arrow TV show, Arrow spent the first season trying to be cool and grounded and not a superhero show. Second season they started opening that up. Then uh, Flash comes out and and Flash says, "You know what? Screw it. We're not we're done with the darkness. The darkness is going to be an Arrow. This is going to be the light, bright, you know, sunny show." And, and they've done that. They've just wholeheartedly taken everything they can throw at them. They've done Rainbow Raider, for God's sakes. Yeah. You know, they've, they've, they'll, they'll take on any comic book idea and work it in here and not make it dark and dark, you know, dark, be dark, dark, dark. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a hoot. So I'm sitting here just with the biggest grin on my face, man, staring at this picture of Robbie Amell with flaming hands, you know, as he's saying goodbye to his two, his two loves. When they, they say, we love you, and he flies away. Oh, God. He's got the white eyes, you know, when, when he uses his powers, his head's on fire. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm back on Firestorm again. So I've said this a million times in the show, but I'll say it again in case this is your first time watching or listening, folks. I am okay with Firestorm not having a costume close to the comic book version. There's still a lot of people out there who feels like he needs a comic book close costume. They're like, well, you know, Flash has a, a red costume, but it's a darker red. So why can't they do the same thing with Firestorm, just do a darker yellow and a darker red and all that? The, the problem is, guys, the flame effect is so amazing. If you put him in a yellow costume, it's just going to eat away at that. Putting him in a dark clothes, black clothes, in fact, makes that flaming effect stand out that much more and visually be really popping off the screen. So I'd rather they just keep him in a black outfit, honestly. I think he looks cooler that way. So Now, if they give me a yellow outfit, am I going to complain? No. No, you're not. But No, I'm not. But I, I think they're 
better served in not putting him in yellow. You know, <laughs> Robbie Mel was asked about it in an interview, and he said, well, he goes, I imagine I'll get some kind of suit eventually. But he said, but it's a kind of a careful line to walk. You've got to be careful with the Firestorm costume, because if you do it wrong, it's going to look like Ronald McDonald. And I never put that together, the connection between Firestorm's costume and Ronald McDonald. And I Googled them side by side. It's not one for one, but there's definitely, when, when you say that out loud, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah okay, there's some, there's some truth to that. So Now, Robbie Mel's performance as Ronnie Raymond, I thought he did a very nice job. Because Ronnie Raymond's supposed to be a likable kid, basically. And Robbie Mel's not quite a kid. He's probably 25 or so. But he was very likable. There was really nothing about the guy not to like. You know, he he came across as a nice kid. You know, he loved his girlfriend. He wanted to do the right thing. You know, I love that bit where he says, uh, I'll always be the guy that runs into the, you know, the ring to save you. As he, as he said goodbye to her, as he became Firestorm again. That was uh, very, the, the heart-wrenching love stuff was just wonderful. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Martin Stein, I felt was really nice. I liked the way he got integrated into the show very quickly, where he suddenly becomes Barry's consultant on time travel. Mm-hmm. You know, and Victor Garber, I, I don't know if I told you this or not, but Victor Garber has not read any of the Firestorm comics. Now, did I tell you that already? No, I don't think so. Yeah, he, he consciously made a decision. He wasn't going to read any of the source material. Now, when I first heard that, I was kind of like, huh, that's kind of rude. But then <laughs> what he basically said was, he goes, look, he goes, uh, comic books and television, you know, live action are very different formats. And everything I need should be right there in the script. And he goes, I've read the scripts, they're solid, I get a real good feel for the character, that's the character I'm going to interpret. So he wasn't flipping the bird to the comics, is what I felt like at first. But then as I read on, he is very excited for this role. He's really into it, but he wanted to do the script that he had been handed. And he pulled, I mean, astonishingly, he feels like Martin Stein. He really, really does, he, you know. And so I don't know whether that's a, a big nod to his acting ability or a big nod to the scripts. But either way, the fact that he's able to pull off Martin Stein and having never read the comics is pretty impressive. Yeah, I think he's great in the role. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm just so happy. Uh, we will see them again, I think, for the season finale, as I understand it. Or towards the end of the season, I should say, is what it is. What we, I don't know whether the season finale or towards the end of the season. We will see Firestorm again. But beyond that, we don't know anything about when we'll see him again, how often we'll see them. Who knows? But I, uh, I am just so thrilled, dude. I... Biggest smile on my face in the world. Couldn't, I just absolutely stunned. I, we, and we've said this on the show a thousand times too, is every time we think they're going to slowly deviate away from, the, from the, the source material, they surprise us and come right back to it. And that's what we got here at Firestorm. And you know what? I just realized I haven't even once looked at my notes here. Hold on. I have a bunch of notes I should have looked at. Uh, I love the mental connection between the characters. Because there was always a slight psychic link in the comics. They really played it up here, but it worked quite well on, on the show. We get another mention of Jason Rush, which is good, because that's sort of their, you know, they're out. If Victor Garber ever, ever doesn't want to do the show, they just can merge Jason Rush and Robbie Mel together. Well, when they do the fire, Firestorm primetime variety hour, they can do different Firestorms. There we go. Oh, there you go. I like that. Um, and here's something that someone else pointed out that I, I kind of glommed onto. When Harrison Wells drugs Professor Stein, he does it with an alcoholic drink, right? Or it's probably the ice cube, actually, is what's in it. But either way, it's an al alcoholic drink, and, and Stein passes out. And that's possible. I don't know whether it's an intentional nod or just coincidentally. I mean, Stein was an alcoholic at one point. And having him pass out due to alcohol in the episode, I don't know whether that was, again, a nod to his alcoholism in the comics or not, but it's interesting. 
you know, I thought that was a nice little touch. Mm-hmm. He's got the white eyes, which sort of kind of freaked me out. I don't know how I feel about them. Like, they're sort of unsettling to look at on screen. I'm glad they're there because it's very faithful to the comics, but it's sort of like, uh, I don't know how I feel about that special effect. Did it, did it, like some people made him feel icky too. Did it, did it make you feel icky at all or is it fine? No, it didn't bother me at all. Okay, that's just me then. All right. Uh, Professor Stein kept calling Ronnie Raymond Ronald. They even made a point of it where Ronnie's like, stop calling me that. But that's, that's very in the comics, Stein calling him Ronald. That's awesome. They're going to Pittsburgh. Did you catch that? No, what was that? Well, at the end, they said they were going to go to Pittsburgh because they said Martin Stein had a friend there. Well, in the comics, and you, you won't know this for another couple of years, but when Ronnie graduates high school and goes to college, him and Professor Stein move to Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. And so the second half of the Firestorm series actually takes place not in New York, but in Pittsburgh. Ah, okay. So that's kind of a cool nod. So maybe we'll get to see the weasel or moonbow or something in an upcoming episode. I don't really mean that, but and the the you know one thing one group that doesn't get enough credit are the folks behind the special effects team. The guys, whoever they are, they are they do the special effects, just do an amazing job. The merging of Firestorm, the burning hands, the flying, like you said, on a TV budget. Wow, those guys earn their keep every week. So great job by those folks. So, all right, I think I've talked it out. And <laughs> you think? I can't help it. I'm just so excited. You're clearly bored out of your friggin' mind. <laughs> Terribly sorry. Okay. All right. So we're going to, what are we doing? We're doing feedback now? We're going to jump right to feedback. All right. Um, I've lost my place. All right. Well, I'll start because there you know, you're, you're busy I'm, stewing in your own juices over there. I really am. Uh, regarding episode 104, which is our live action part two episode, which is we've done 19 more live action shows since then. Uh, we got a comment from Earth 2 Chris. He says, fun episode, guys. Thanks for pulling this one together so quickly. As I said on Facebook, I don't think I could make it through Monday without fire and water. I'll admit I'm not as excited as I should be about the DC movie announcement. Very happy to see Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and Flash get their own movies, but I still think having two different Flashes on TV and film is a bit confusing. Momo's Momo's comments on his Polynesian heritage and Aquaman give the whole thing a unique spin, and I can buy that. I hope Rob is right, and we get a nice blend of all eras of Aquaman. One thing's almost for certain, no Aqua Bro, like on Small <laughs> As for Firestorm and TV, I think Ronnie was mentioned as being the structural engineer of the project, which means he isn't a scientist, which I can swallow a lot easier. I really like DeMille's earnest performance, and I'm really looking forward to more. I'm really enjoying this Flash series. Fun, fun stuff. On a superhero TV show, who'd have thunk it? Yep, yep. So, so glad that Flash is making it fun. I heard from Kyle Benning on the same one. He says, I can't believe they have a Cyborg movie scheduled, since Cyborg doesn't even have his own ongoing series. He's the only character in the Justice League that didn't get his own ongoing series when the New 52 launched. It seems like an odd choice for a movie when he isn't even getting his due in the comics. Obviously, the people that actually buy comics make up a small portion of the people who attend the movies, but still it's odd that they'd invest millions into a film when they won't even try him out on his own comic for six months. And then he goes on to uh, talking about the two different versions of Flash, because that, that's sort of sticking in everybody's craw. It's fixing my craw, too, honestly. He says, the problem with doing two different versions of the same character at the same time is that people are going to gravitate towards one or the other, which can limit the success of the other. Smallville versus Superman Returns. Many people whose exposure to Superman was via Smallville absolutely hated Superman Returns and were very vocal about it. Now, I didn't realize this until I was listening to... I think it was uh, Michael Bailey and Trentus Magnus were talking about this on an episode of, um, I can't remember whose show it was, Michael or Trentus's, but they were just talking about, I didn't, I was completely in the dark on this. When Superman Returns came out, 
there was a vicious, vicious, vicious bloody battle on the interwebs between fans of Smallville and fan and people <laughs> willingly embracing Superman Returns. And when you say vicious bloody battle between Superfans, it means a bunch of people going like, quack, 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 quack. Well, yeah, and throwing pocket protectors. <laughs> hitting, little, hitting, but, little, hitting each other little dinosaur arms. But apparently, like... The Superman, the Superman friends, uh, the Superman fans, and they, this happened during Man of Steel as well. They will, they they will eat their own. You know, they, they, you know, animals don't eat their own. These fans will eat their own. They just chew each other up and spit each other out and get nasty. And there was that problem where there was the Smallville versus um, Superman Returns. And if you were a fan of one and not the other, I mean, it was bad. If you were a fan, like, it really divided the fandom. So. <laughs> I know it's it's funny to us, but people that live through it apparently it was very bad. And, and oh, very, I know Mike has talked about it on the show. Yeah, yeah, very hurtful about that. So I'm afraid that could happen with Flash because I mean, right now Flash is, according to CW, the most watched show the CW has ever run, which hmm. you've you've joked about. But but CW is a legitimate network that's you know has made some money over yeah, the years. Yeah, no, yeah. So Flash being so big. Uh, which is kind of funny because when it started, it was just this little show, and now it's on every commercial they run. And it's, it shows up on Comcast now when I log into my Comcast email even. It's like, The Flash! I'm like, really? Wow. Anyway, so it's um, it could be divisive if you have two different Flashes. Kind of scary. So let's see. Uh, okay. Okay, we got a message from Zoom Yukonori, our pal, and he says, Rob, I am with you regarding the enjoyment of the Aquaman movie just because it is Aquaman in a movie. I have the same sentiment for Green... Oh, I should have read this. Green Lantern. Yeah. <laughs> Lackluster story and villains aside, I still enjoy watching the ring-slinging effects, the design of the core, the visuals, and it's Green Lantern in a movie. I have a ticket stub with the words Green Lantern printed on it. You can make that yourself. So. The brilliant <laughs> and the brilliant GL animated series more than made up for the movie shortcomings. Uh, each episode of GLTAS is what the GL movie should have been. Here is hoping there is an equally brilliant Aquaman animated series in 2019. That would be... Wow. Oh, that would be so that would be awesome. That would be the greatest thing. Yeah, get get John DiMaggio back. Oh, that would be so cool. I hadn't even considered an Aquaman animated series. Oh, wow. That would be, wow. Mm-hmm. So, it would be draggled animation. So, all right. Uh, we heard from Victoria B., who also goes by Bast. She wrote us a very nice letter um, many, many months ago. I don't know if she's still listening to the show. She was a new listener at the time. She had found us through the Flash podcast and was enjoying our show. And she wanted to stand up and make a point about Iris. I had said some disparaging things about the character of Iris on the show, uh, The Flash. Early on, I was feeling frustrated with her. Uh, I drew some analogies between her and... Um, uh, Lana Lang on Smallville. I mean, come on. They both worked at coffee shops, for goodness sakes. And, um, and, and she came back with an interesting letter. She said, uh, before you ignore this thinking it's an angry fangirl, ready to tear you down for speaking poorly of her favorite character, I want to start off by saying how much I really do love your podcast. Uh, and she goes on to say, I'm writing out of a desire for a certain narrative to stop. Iris West should not be compared to a character who in fandom is written down as one of the most hated, disliked, and unwanted characters in Smallville. Even though Lana Lang has plenty of supporters, the narrative that she was a disgusting and annoying distraction pervaded so deep that people who didn't even watch the show only know ill about her. If Iris West is to have a fair chance to grow as a character, this narrative must stop. The title of love interest should not spell poison for a female character, whether there's a love triangle or not. I do find the love triangle similar to Smallville, though. She's nice and sweet like Lana was at the start, but she is curious and stubborn like Chloe Sullivan. She is flighty, uh, she is flighty and unfocused in her objectives at the moment, but I hope the writers plan on changing that. 
And then she, uh, I'm jumping down a bit, it says, along with avoiding comparisons with terrible characters, you can find uh, her annoying, nothing wrong with that, but explain it without the comparisons. So, Victoria, thank you for that very intelligent and well-thought-out response. And you're right. Uh, I was giving... Uh, what short shrift is that the term you use? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was giving short shrift to the character virus because she is an interesting character. I feel like the writers weren't doing a lot of interesting things with her in the beginning. I mean, I liked the blogging aspect where she was writing about Flash, but beyond that, um, I wasn't thrilled with it. Now they do continue some of the annoying love angle traits, like when Barry started dating that other girl, the sports writer at the newspaper, and she kind of sabotages it with what she says to the girl. I was like. It did feel sort of stereotypical, like, you know, a girl likes a guy, and if she's not going to be with that guy, then nobody should be with that guy sort of thing. But as far as her growing as a character, I'm thrilled with what she's doing at the newspaper. She is a much more well-defined and more interesting character than Lana was, that's for sure. And um, I, I'm, I am now find myself rooting for Lana. Now that they've got her working for the newspaper, I feel like more is happening with her. Now that she's starting to scratch the surface of what might be going on at Star Labs, I mean, I don't know if the plan is ultimately for her to stay on the outside of the Scooby Gang, or they're going to bring her into the Scooby Gang. I don't know how that's going to work, but it'll be interesting to see where her character goes next. So... Uh, thank you. I, I, I was really pleased with that letter, so thanks for standing up for uh, Iris. Heard from Jorge Castillo. He says, I'm glad the sexual intellectual is making an appearance as well. He's talking about Martin Stein. As it could have easily just done Ronnie as Firestorm. So clearly somebody is remembering our songs that we have on our show because our buddy Robert Gross or Martin Stein's Returns wrote that song about Martin Stein, the sexual intellectual. <laughs> Well done, Jorge. Uh, and then Oscar Olalalalade, he says, uh, we are in a second golden age. That's what, in my opinion, these days are becoming, and fast. I'm talking about all the live-action stuff. Then we're going to jump forward to another uh, episode we did in December where we talked about live-action stuff and uh, heard from Michael Kiroscuro. He says, I have one quick question. When you mentioned another possible – oh, this is this has nothing to do with live-action, but it's worth bringing up. Um, when you mentioned an, another possible Bob Haney-themed episode, it reminded me whatever happened to the backups feature. He's talking about the ones where we would do the eight-page backups from DC Comics Presents. He says, and did you ever select a winner for the name the backup feature? No, part? he's not talking about that. He's talking about when we were covering the Aquaman and Firestorm backups. Oh, you're right. That, we, we, we did one segment of those, and we, we never did them again. I thought we did two. No, way, we, did we, one. we did one. Yeah. We did two. We did a really nice Firestorm one, and then we did a really, really crappy Aquaman yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Frank took us to task for covering that one as well. Yeah. yeah. So we never did – you're right. We never did finalize that. We still want to do some of that stuff and do different features. But you're right. We, we do need – we owe it to people because we have you – know, we received several submissions. And I'm sitting here looking at the prize, which is a Justice League T-shirt that um, was kind enoughly donated by um, – Russell Burbage. By little Russell Burbage from uh, Rimbor, and it's a uh, it's a great George Perez shot of the Justice League. So yeah, we uh, we we need to get back on yeah, that at some point. Yeah. So we do need to decide who won. So we'll, we'll get back to that. Well, we need uh, to pick a name, and then then uh, de right. facto we'll be deciding. <laughs> we heard from our buddy again, uh, Earth Two Chris again. He says my theory is that at some point Harrison Wells will either coerce or control Eddie thrawn into the Reverse Flash suit. This would make the TV series Zoom more like a combo of the. Ebard, Thrawn, and Hunter Zolomon versions, just one of the many theories I have. I'd love to see John Wesley Ships play an alternate reality Flash on this series. How cool would that be? Hey, maybe that red blur at Nora Allen's murder scene isn't Barry in the past, but Henry, or an alternate Henry with Flash powers. The mind boggles. My son is now obsessed with figuring all this out. He's kind of driving us nuts with, nuts with it, honestly. 
The jury's still out on Firestorm. I like what I've seen so far, and we know Professor Stein is coming, so I'm looking forward to where this is going. So just it, couching this sort of like, the, just understand these comments were made before the recent yes. episodes. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, there, there, there went on on the Firestorm fan. There went a back and forth about uh, movies that people like because I had uh, really expressed dismay with anyone that might like Van Helsing, and then Mike Bailey Here stepped. Go. Here Mike, we go again. <laughs> Mike Bailey stepped up and said that his wife Rachel really loves Van Helsing, and then I suggested that he has to pick between the podcast or his wife. He can't have both. <laughs> <laughs> and then Earth 2 chimed in, and then finally Count Drunkula put the period on the sentence by saying, my wife hates Blade Runner. Sometimes chicks be cray-cray. <laughs> pretty, much, that pretty much sums it up, Ryan. Thank you. You know, he's a really funny writer. It's a shame it doesn't work out in, in, live, in real no, life. No, you talk to him in real life, and it's it's painful and awkward. But he, He's an utter letdown. Life. Utter letdown. Yeah. But you guys should check out his Star Wars podcast. Um, yes. <laughs> in that, hit that hell of a plug there, Ryan. Yeah. After well, he's uh, got guests on. After three or four years of him writing scathing comments every single episode to this show, it's yeah, time to give exactly. scathing feelings back. Seriously, guys, he'll write it in episodes and be like, "Congratulations on another episode. This one's uh, uh, oh gosh, it's like you know, oh, I can't even remember well, how he he'll say it. like, "Congrats on one. I could get through get the whole thing, go, go through the whole thing up. You know, like, right? Or, yeah. I just blew the joke. I'm sorry. Or congrats, you did another episode." Good on you. I, just, ah, I can't even remember. Damn it. You should just cut all this out, Rob. Anyway, it's uh, all his comments are caustic and painful and uh, backhanded compliments. So there you go. Now we're getting him back. Heard from our buddy Diablo Frank. He says, I have to wonder, though, with the heavy emphasis on the nuclear man and his supporting cast, are they using him to prop up the Flash, recognizing his 90s failure and the usefulness of Green Arrow on Smallville? Or is this a season-long backdoor pilot for a Firestorm spinoff? Feels like the latter, but then again, I'm not watching the show. I'll have to get the illegal. I'll have to get um, illegal machine, who's his um, co-host on the Marvel Superheroes podcast, to do uh, to watch the Flash to complete his descent into becoming the anti-nuclear sub. Yes, uh, illegal machine, or as I like to call him, not Frank One. He uh, he said a lot of disparaging comments about Aquaman. I really do not need not Frank One to start making disparaging comments about Firestorm because then it's just going to get bloody, folks. I'm just saying. I've been over to your your show there, Frank. I'll come back over there again if I have to to kick some ass. I'm just saying. But no, I, I do not... As much as I hope Firestorm gets a spinoff, you know, which would be amazing, I don't think that's why he's in The Flash. I think he's in The Flash solely to give them more time to spread out The Flash villains. Because if they... You know, if they were to cram all of Flash's rogues as quickly as possible, they would run out all of them in the first season. You know, there's only so many, and they do 26 episodes a season or whatever it is, or 22, 24, whatever. They would blow through all the rogues. So by, by throwing in the multiplexes and you throw in the Killer Frost and you throw in the Plastiques and all that, it gives you more time to draw out the Flash villains, and that way you can still have some big you know, introductions of some big bads for seasons two and three of the Flash TV series. That's why I think Firestorm is there. If it does turn out like Smallville, where you know Green Arrow was a reoccurring character on Smallville, and they said, you know what, there's something to this. And they gave his own series, you know, with a different continuity. Which was Arrow, that would be great if Firestorm got his own show. Would, you know, as we talked earlier, be over the moon about that. Count Drunker that came back also. He says, uh, Michael Bailey devoted an entire episode of Used a Long Box to Trinity War and Forever Evil, and his passion and enthusiasm was so strong that I almost went back and read Forever Evil. Instead, I took a look at the previews and said, Nope. <laughs> I kind of felt the same way. Cooler uh, heads prevail. Michael Bailey really did do a really good episode, and um, he had a guess. Was it? Oh gosh, who was I? I'm blanking. 
Oh, and it's somebody I know. I feel really bad. We should really prepare before we do these shows. Well, I, I did. We have a Google document and everything. Anyway, Bailey did a really great episode covering view, um, covering Forever Evil and Trinity War. And it, just, it really did. It sort of made me rethink, like, maybe I should give it another chance. It was exactly like what Count Dracula said. I re- I thought, you know, I could, I should give this another shot. And then, I again, the minute I went flipped through, through uh, my stack of comics that had, you know, Forever Evil, Rogue's Revenge, Forever Evil, Your Mom, you know, and all those spinoffs, I was like, I'm done. Nope, not happening. All right. Heard from our buddy SK Duke 52 who insists we should call him Stephen the moss-encrusted mockery of a man. He's, a, he's our buddy who's a welder. He says, you guys already know I'm a welder, and I was watching an episode of The Flash the other day, the one where Captain Cold first appears, and he and his little gang had, uh, had a Miller Industries wrecker there and were using it to try and hijack a truck at the start of the episode. I work at Miller Industries in Chattanooga, Tennessee, so I could have very well built some of the parts that uh, are in that wrecker. I'm potentially famous. Anyways, just thought it was kind of cool to see that. I'll work an autograph or something for you if you want. Maybe an issue of Legion for Rob or a poster of Doring Day for you, Shag. (laughs) (laughs) I'd feel so honored. Uh, Daniel Cynical Adams, he took Rob to task for forgetting that Cisco on The Flash is Vibe. And he says, Cisco becoming Vibe will be so awesome, I will probably go blind. (laughs) Poor Daniel. (laughs) I'll feel so bad. He'll be up on stage trying to sing, and he won't be able to see the lyric sheets or the audience or anything. It'll be terrible. Uh, I heard from Gene Hendricks. He said, even my wife was impressed when Firestorm flew away at the end of this episode. And Aaron Moss followed it up by saying, my wife looked over at me while I laid there giggling when Firestorm flew away. My 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 family does the same thing. I mean, they half-watch the show, and they half-watch me. You know, and and I, I'm fairly quiet when I watch it. I don't tend to scream and shout and cheer. But when they got the merge firestorm, dude, I mean, my face was just <gasps> I I couldn't hold it in. <laughs> uh, regarding episode 115, which is our Throne of Atlantis F period I period I or whatever episode, uh, Earth Two Chris says, "I hereby withdraw my support for Fire and Water due to Rob's dismissal of both Flash TV series." Well, not really. The 90s series did have a chair of clunkers, especially early on. They started strong with the pilot, but they floundered a bit before embracing their comic roots. The new series does not have that problem. I'm excited to see where they are going with Firestorm. He says, I refuse to type all those periods. Yeah, I mean, boy, the Flash fans are sensitive. I just said that that series, the 90s series, had a couple of clunker episodes. And they did. Every TV show has had them. All my favorite TV shows, MASH, Cheers, Mr. Science Theater, they all had clunkers. So Flash just had... A proportionate higher amount because they only got to do one season. But, you know, boy, man, all I did was just say a little bit about Flash, and all of a sudden, Earth 2 Chris is no longer my friend. That's tough stuff. You guys are very sensitive. You have to be careful, you know? He judges. He judges. So, you know, here's an interesting thought, something I just remembered I hadn't thought about in years. The original Flash TV series, you know, we were just talking about, you know, people embracing the comic book fun or running from the comic book fun. And the original Flash TV series, early on during development, and I don't know who was pushing for this, whether it's producers or the network or whatever, Flash wasn't going to have a costume. Right, right. He was going to wear just like a red tracksuit. Yeah. <laughs> so, like a little red hoodie. So, anyway, he goes, the Franklin clan gathers at 8 on Tuesdays to watch The Flash as well. It's the only show where we do that live. So, um, that's awesome. That's the same thing we do here. The Irredeemable Clan does. So, it's the only show we watch live. So, we watch it as a group. Very cool. Mm-hmm. He DVRs other stuff. But Flash, we watch live. 
uh, from Darren Sutherland. He says, I agree with Rob uh, regarding um, Throne of Atlantis. I agree with Rob that we shouldn't lay blame to any single individual for this movie. And I remember the very positive post when we met when he met the screenwriter in California. In the end, this is a very bland movie that is likely bland because of too many committees and too many meetings watering down the pile and distilling the character down to a few core traits. Yeah, Darren was, was absolutely not a fan of Throne of Atlantis. And you know what is funny? In retrospect, you know, I still stand by what I said about Throne of Atlantis, but I do realize that when you get your hopes up for a certain project, you do tend to forget about the realities of certain things. And, and I guess I didn't have that problem with Throne of Atlantis, but I had, but I had that, that, that issue a couple of weeks ago when they had the 40th anniversary of Saturday Night Live. Because I grew up on that show and I was a huge fan and I was so excited that they were getting all these cast members from different eras. And then, like, I thought the show was just mostly pretty lame. Because it's like, they got Eddie Murphy back and all Eddie Murphy did was come out and say, thank you, I'm awesome. Here's a commercial. Mm. And I was, like, almost crushed. I was like, you have Eddie Murphy on your scene. Like, you have Bill Murray and Eddie Murphy in the same space and you don't put them in a sketch together? And I was really mad at the show. And then I realized, you know what? Eddie Murphy was probably never going to do that from what we know of Eddie Murphy. Mm. And it's not their fault. They can't force him to do it. So it, I, I sort of realized, hey, you know what? I was able to sort of modulate my expectations for Throne of Atlantis while other people were not. But then I was not able to modulate my expectations for the SNL 40th. And I was very critical. So, I, you know, everybody has their own issues with it. So I sort of have a have a greater understanding of why some people were really pretty disappointed with, with Throne of Atlantis as, as, as it was, as it stood. Can I talk about SNL for a second? Sure. I didn't see it. I wasn't even aware of it. Um, I, that's how unplugged I, I am on, on most stuff going on. But I heard about it after the fact, and then my buddy Ravenface sent me a really interesting article or blog post or something someone had written about Dennis Miller and basically saying, when did being a Dennis Miller fan of his Saturday Night Live stuff become a bad thing. And, I, and it was really well written. I am not a good speaker. Uh, I don't use them big words, so I'm not doing it any justice. But the, it was basically the article was saying, regardless how you feel about Dennis Miller's politics nowadays and what he does, when did it suddenly become uncool to like Dennis Miller's Saturday Night Live stuff? Because Dennis Miller was amazing when he was back I, I, He was my favorite Weekend Update host. I thought he did it the best anybody ever did it. He was kind of an idol for me growing up. I mean, the long hair, but wearing the business suit, the really snarky comments. I mean, he is what I thought an intellectual was supposed to grow up and be like, you know? And him on SNL was just amazing. And the fact that he wasn't on the show and didn't really get a lot of credit was just like, wow, really? That's amazing. Regardless of who he is nowadays, whether you like him or not, he or his politics, whatever, the guy was a huge force for Sun Alive back then. His, his, he was undeniable power. He turned the the, 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 the show, what's it called? A weekend Update, into a powerhouse again after years of sort of wallowing, you know? Yeah. No, he, I, he was my favorite guy that ever did that. So. Weekend Update. Yep. Anyway. I uh, heard from our buddy Tim Wallace, who's also a contributor on Firestorm Fan. Tim says, Shag picks Showcase Blue Beetle and doesn't mention his Court Industries website? I'm speechless. Dude, Tim, I am so sorry. I am totally at fault at that. Tim does run the Court Industries Beetle Blue Beetle blog. You should definitely check it out. And I am horrified that I did not mention it. I was probably um, drunk or stoned. So, anyway. Um, 
which neither of that's true. So, it was an interesting story. I began listening to the podcast, this podcast, because of my li- lifelong love of Aquaman. Initially, I had nothing but apathy for Firestorm. Now, I'm super psyched about Firestorm coming to the Flash TV series. And after watching Throne of Atlantis, felt just meh. Maybe it's because I read the comic, but I, the story didn't grab me as I hoped it would. So that's interesting. So Tim Wallace came to the Fire and Water podcast as an Aquaman fan who couldn't care about Firestorm, and now he's a contributor. He is the only contributor to Firestorm fan besides myself. So this is a lot. That's, that's pretty cool. Awesome. Heard from our buddy Martin Gray, who's also Martin Stein Returns. He says, Shag, you do Professor Stein a disservice. The reason he was upset at Ronnie always, insisting, um, this is talking about in the early days of the comics, I talked about Martin Stein was always mad at Ronnie. He's always like, Ronald, why are you interrupting me? Anyway, uh, he says, the reason Professor Stein was always upset at Ronnie was because Ronnie instigated the change in the early days of the comic, and that Professor had no choice and no conscious knowledge of what was happening. He was freaking him out and playing havoc with his life. Like any, uh, like any Martin, the Professor was, in fact, a model of patience. That was... <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. This is Martin Gray. This was not, um, I got myself mixed up. This was not Robert Gross, Martin Stein Returns. This was Martin Gray. So he was making a compliment about himself being a model of patience. That's cute. Nice. Heard from our buddy Ange. Uh, he says, I've been completely impressed with the Flash TV show and watch it with my girls. Firestorm is just the tip of the iceberg of all the DC characters that they put into it. My kids finally had to tell me to stop spoiling everything by revealing the comic history of some of the characters. For example, letting them know about Caitlin being Killer Frost in the first episode wasn't received well. But it's also good. But it's, it is so good. And as a Firestorm fan, seeing Ronnie, Jason, and now Professor Stein live is fantastic. And I have to tell you, Ange, I have the same problem around my household. It's actually a little bit of the reverse. I won't tell my family the secrets of what's going on with the Flash show. Like, they, they have no idea that Eddie is, you know, in some continuities, he's the reverse Flash. And they're dying about this reverse Flash storyline is driving them crazy. And so I haven't mentioned a word that Eddie's tied to it in some way. And so when he eventually turns, whether it's in this early days or in a later season, their, their brain is just going to melt. They're going to be so mad at me. So looking forward to it. Nothing like having your kids pissed off at you, you know? Zoom, you can already wrote in. He goes, I suppose a slightly more cohesive acronym for Firestorm, F-I-R-E-S-T-R-O-M, could be Fusion Ignition Research Study of Transmutation via the Oscillation and Restructuring of Molecules, but I will always remember the first abbreviation attempt in the letters page of the 1980s, The Fury, Firestorm, The Nuclear Man, in response to issue number two. F is for Firestorm, second issue. I is for Indian, Black Bison, two. R is for Rage, a title that's neat. E is for everyone that makes the book complete. S is for Stein, who is pretty smart. T is for troubles that play a big part. O is for the opponent, Killer Frost, hooray. R is for the readers that want her to stay. M is for me, who would just like to say, thank you for good things and have a nice day. Now, um, I'm picturing a Firestorm book drawn by Dr. Seuss. Do you know who wrote this? Zoom Yukonori wrote back and told us who wrote that letter. It's a gentleman by the name of Ross Persall of uh, Massachusetts. Yeah, guess who Ross is? In Zoom, you may not even know this. Ross is known to us uh, in our blogging world. He is the genius behind the um, Brave and the Bold Lost Pages blog. Really? That's that the, guy? The Super Family Team-Up. Uh, I know you've got to have seen these, Ross. It's where he takes every day, every day, for like, I don't know, seven or eight years now. He has 
posted a new cover that shows like uh, two, two, at least two characters teamed up that can't possibly do that in comics. Usually it's a Marvel and DC character, but sometimes he'll pull in independent publishers and whatever. But th there's been tons of like, you know, Aquaman versus Namor and Firestorm and, you know, Human Torch and literally one every single day. And they're wonderful. They're beautiful. And that's the same guy. That's Ross. Wow. That's amazing. That cool? yeah. Small, that's small world. Huh. Very cool. Uh, we got an email from Dave Walker. He says, Rob annoyed me a little by how many times I've heard that. You just stop, stop the yeah. sentence right there. No, this is Dave Walker writing for Shag. Rob annoyed <laughs> me a little by saying Throne of Atlantis was aimed at kids because it was animated. Okay, uh, let me. I'll finish what he says and I'll go back to that. It just reminds me of people saying comics are for kids. Granted, there should be comics for kids and animated superheroes for kids, but that doesn't mean they all should be. This does have a rating of PG-13 and seemingly 15 over here in the UK, so surely that would have been an indicator that it maybe wasn't entirely suitable for the younger people in the audience. Sorry for the mini rant, I just don't like it when assumptions are made based on the method medium used for telling the story. Uh, also, sorry if that wasn't Rob's intent. I guess I can just cheer myself up with the fact that Chad was worried about the whole Spider-Man Marvel thing. Oh, and I also I get back to enjoying the rest of the episode, too. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly I'm not confusing the the medium with, you know, the audience, just because it's anime doesn't mean it's for kids. Cause there's lots of things, you know, a lot of some of the Miyazaki stuff isn't necessarily for small children or whatever. And certainly like Fritz, the cat and some other things or the Bakshi Lord of the Rings, but in throne of Atlantis, um, first of all, you know, over here, I mean, it sounds like Dave is in, is in England. Yeah, Dave, Dave's in the UK. He's one of our, um, who true freaks, uh, team members. Oh, okay. So he's in the UK over here, like where they stock throne of Atlantis they put it in Target next to like all the other kid animated movies. Yeah. When it when it was sold at uh, Best Buy, it was packaged with an action figure. For mm. Pete's sakes, that says kids. Now, yeah, you can slap a PG thirteen label on it. Nobody looks at those. No, I don't know anybody looks at ratings anymore, really. So, I mean, yes, clearly it wasn't necessarily meant for small children. But in terms of how it's marketed, it's marketed to children. Uh, in terms of its in, in terms of its displays, where they put it next to other things, so you know, yeah, I'm not necessarily saying that because it's animated it means it's for kids. But if you're doing a animated movie featuring superhero characters and you're you're selling it along with action figures, you know, I mean, do they have you know Godfather action figures with the Godfather Blu-ray sets? No, they do not. Um, so this was, you know, so that that's where I was. But no, I'm not. I'm not conflating the two. You can obviously make an animated movie that, are not, that is not for children, but Throne of Atlantis, to me, is aimed at children. And the fact that there was so much violence in it, to me, was a little off-putting. But that's where we are on that day. And, and, and as much as it pains me, I'll, I'll leap to Rob's defense here for a second. If I remember the episode correctly, I think what you were actually implying and may not have got the point across was simply that you weren't sure who this target, this show was targeted for because, you know, like you said, it, it gives the appearance it's for kids, and yet there was the violence level, there was the, you know, sort of the content in general, and, and I had indicated my watching it with my eight-year-old daughter, I felt like it was not appropriate right. for her. So I don't think it was, I don't think you were belittling the, the animated format. I think it was just... Yeah, no, 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 right. Sure. So, yeah. Sure. But... All right. I uh, heard from Stephen Lopez. He says, I listened to your latest Fire and Water podcast, The Throne of Atlantis, and the topic came up about the initial wave that started the battle. I, I too, wish the movie was more like the books. Let the wave hit the coast. However, it wasn't useless in the movie, albeit underwhelming. It was used, in my humble opinion, to announce Atlantis' army, a flourish. 
Remember, Orm splits the wave with his trident, and then they attack. He was showing off, displaying his power. Well, that's a good point, Stephen. I, I was really hung up on the fact that their giant tidal wave was coming towards Metropolis, and then it just dissipated. It just went poof, and was gone. It was like almost a forgotten plot point. But he's making a good point in saying that, you know, no, it was there for dramatic effect to sort of announce Atlantis' attack. So, yeah, okay. I'll Fair give enough. it to you. Fair enough. I uh, heard from David Gutierrez. He says, you guys are effing high. The 90s Flash show is the greatest show of all time. <laughs> that's, that's, all, that's all Dave had. That's so funny. Uh, Oscar Olele Day says, I refuse to learn that morbidly long Firestorm acronym until the S at the end gets the presence it deserves. Team Structures! <laughs> that's great. I love that. Um, regarding it, Yes? I was just going to say, and then we're going to get into feedback from just uh, an episode or two ago from a couple weeks ago. Go yeah, ahead. episode 116, another F period, I period, whatever. Aquaman's new creative team, from Earth to Chris. Shag, you didn't catch the Conrad reference? Even Cindy caught that. I totally didn't. I totally didn't. I was just too goobering over it, I guess. Or, or the fact that Clarissa was on the screen, I was too stunned. Anyway, he says, I've said it here on Firestorm Fane earlier, but I really liked how they explored the deeper implications of two people merging, which is something I never knew them to do with Ronnie and Martin anyway. Um, he's right. They, in the comics, they never really dealt with the fact of Ronnie and the professor being stuck together. They, they, John Ostringer dealt with it some, but Conway never did in the old days as far as the, the, the pain of being stuck together and being unable to get out of that merger. So uh, hats off to them. Anyway, he, go, he continues, I'm more of a Flash guy, so I'm interested in those subplots as well. But the Firestorm stuff in the episode was indeed far more compelling than Barry being preoccupied with a girl he had had one and a half dates with. The city was about to explode. Come on, Barry, get your head in the game. I really enjoy the Flash series, but that type of all subplots accounted for, copyright Michael Bailey, drives me a bit nuts. Yeah, and that's, and that's where sometimes the fun aspect of the show gets in the way of the adventure story. That does happen from time to time, so that's a, that's a fair nod. I uh, heard from Darren Sutherland. He says, like Shag, I also read that the reason for the convergence event from D.C. was due to the two months needed to relocation to California. Because we, we had talked about convergence coming up and all the changes to it, and um, it's interesting. I mean, people seem to be sort of like talking about how it's D.C.'s big event this year, and it's going to change everything, and I just felt like it was a stopgap measure. That's kind of how I understood it. So I think DC's using it to, as a springboard to launch a lot of new titles. By the way, is Cyborg getting a title in, mm-hmm. the, in, the, mm-hmm. in the new 40? Okay, so he is getting a title in the new 49. Okay, mm-hmm. so, all right. I think it's, uh, I think it's uh, Ivan Reese and Joe Prado working on it. No way. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, wow. That'd, yeah. be, that'd be beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got an email from Ruth Sutherland, Darren's better half, and he says, this is, she says, this is Ruth, and I just wanted to assure the two of you that you do have another regular female <laughs> listener. I look forward to <laughs> on behalf of everything I've said in the past 118 episodes, Ruth, I apologize. Yes. Then. <laughs> yes, as well you should. I look forward to your show every week, and I'm especially pleased when it is a review episode, who's who episode, or an episode with lots of news like this one. Rob, I'm hoping that interest in Aquaman will grow in the upcoming movie so there is even more news to cover in the future. And hopefully more female listeners will join if Mira is featured in the new movies, and hopefully in her own solo comic as well. Oh, yeah, I sure, from your mouth, the... Then Didio's here. And Chad, <laughs> you should know that I had little interest in Firestorm until hearing this podcast and meeting you at DragonCon. Now I look forward to hearing your classic comic reviews and consider Firestorm and his rogues to the most interesting parts of the Flash TV series. Your female fan, Ruth. 
That's fantastic. Awesome. Well, thank you for that letter, Ruth. We really appreciate that. Because every time we get a letter that's signed Darren and Ruth Sutherland, I always just assume Darren. We always assume it's Darren, right. Right. It's sort of like when you get a letter from Cindy and and, um, from Chris Chris. and Cindy Franklin, you're like, yeah, Chris wrote that. Cindy didn't write that. uh, Heard from Michael Kiroscaro again. He said, Victor Garber is amazing in everything he does. And that flashback scene with Barry on the train was my favorite scene of that episode. It was so well acted by both actors and much subtler than your typical CW scenes. (laughs) True that. Uh, Tim Wallace mentioned, he says, I may be the odd man out here, but I'm okay with Jeff Parker leaving Aquaman, less so with Pelletier. I've enjoyed Pelletier's art, but honestly, the Parker stories have left me less enthusiastic. As a longtime Aqua fan, I tried, but I just couldn't get into it, and sadly, several months worth sit unread on my nightstand. We all have our favorite runs and teams. For me, that would be Peter David and Jim Calafior. But we're sad, we're sad to see them move on, get canceled, or trade it out with no explanation, so I feel, every, I feel for everyone that enjoyed Parker's run. I look forward to what happens next with Aquaman. I guess it's like the old saying, you can please all the people some of the time, some of the people all the time, but you can't please all the people all the time. Yes, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm as sanguine as, as anyone else that we're going to have a new creative team. I'm sad to see Parker go, but I'm also excited to see the, what the new guys can do. So. We've got a lot of support for, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but the Colin writer's Bunn. Yeah, because a lot of folks are like, oh my gosh, Six Gun's so good, you're going to love this. So that's that's a very encouraging. So, yep. Heard from Count Drunkula. says, I finally got caught up on The Flash so I could listen to this episode, but now I've seen the episode that follows this podcast where Firestorm is fully merged and embraced, and it was fantastic. In fact, the Firestorm subplot that has run through the last five or six episodes has been one of the major high points of an already terrific show. I realized halfway through Arrow's first season that this was the way to enjoy these CW shows, is to accept the changes in the characters, because every once in a while, when the showrunners demonstrate some astounding adherence to the spirit and icon that blows fans away. Perhaps the craziest thing is that these Firestorm appearances on The Flash have made me a bigger Firestorm fan than I was. I could never imagine that before, but I now see the character as a far more versatile. That isn't meant to be a knock against Firestorm. I've always thought the character could carry a film. I fan-casted an outline of Firestorm trilogy years ago, but to see him on the smaller screen stealing the show from The Flash has been remarkable. Man, well, that was a really well-thought-out, very nice, very upbeat letter from Count Truncula. Maybe his wife wrote it. Exactly. <laughs> Heard from our buddy Jose. Blah. Heard from our buddy Jose Rivera. Man, that was harder to say than I thought it would be. He says, as I watch The Flash every week, I'm surprised at how much the quality hasn't dipped. Even my least favorite episode of the season, Plastique, was still incredible. And seeing as how I have only a minor knowledge of Firestorm, seeing this iteration of him has shocked the hell out of me, only because it skates the line between being its own thing for the show and being an almost true adaptation of the comics. Robbie Amell is Ronnie. I haven't seen much of him in other things, so this is the first time I've seen the actor. But he's not terrible. But he's not terrible. So far, we've only seen Ronnie as himself in the flashbacks. What we're seeing now is Ronnie and Professor Stein merge, but that's got to be challenging as hell for an actor. Not only are you playing one character, you're also playing a character who has another character in his mind, and on some occasions you're playing a different character in your character's body. I give Amel all the credit in the world. It's funny to think how much Firestorm they've given us in this show, and it doesn't feel like it's getting in the way of Barry's story. Good points, Jose. And uh, again, I, I do recommend try out The Tomorrow People. It's on Netflix right now. It went away from Netflix for a while, but it's back. And uh, again, I'm, I'm digging the hell out of it. I enjoy The Tomorrow People. It's, it's very much a CW show, but um, who cares? It's a lot of fun. Gene Hendricks says, I think it's a testament to just how well the writers and actors are doing that the world's first Firestorm fan can say that the man who has never read the comics got Martin Stein spot on. It also says a lot about the Firewater podcast 
that I could point to the merged Firestorm and say, now that's Firestorm, when I've read only a handful of his appearances. Well, gosh, Gene, I really appreciate that. That's very kind of you to say. Thank you so much. So, um, Well, folks, that's going to wrap it up for this time. Uh, Rob, where can they find uh, our email address and our Tumblr? Well, our email address is firewaterpodcast.comgas.net, and the Tumblr is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. Yep, we'll throw some pictures up there of uh, Unite the Seven. We'll throw a couple of Robbie and Mel's up there, and uh, a little live action, you know, Firestorm and Aquaman stuff for you to, 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 to geek out on. And then uh, in the meantime, you can visit my buddy Rob over at aquamanshrine.net. You can also find him on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, all under the same handle of Aquaman Shrine. You can find me at firestormfan.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, and Instagram, all under FirestormFan as well. Please use the hashtag PoundFWPodcast. Using that, uh, all of these nuclear subs that you heard from tonight will be able to get in touch with you. You guys will have some conversations. It will grow. It will build. And uh, we will continue to grow this community. And uh, it's the single best podcast listening community in the world. I'd put, them up, I'd put you all up against anybody. So you're the best. So until next time, folks, fan the flame and ride the wave. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice. On land and air, Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah! A lot of this is marketing, is, is business decisions, and DC and Warner Brothers have spent a lot of money getting Aquaman back in his classic look for merchandising. They are not going to chuckle that out the window and stick him with a hook hand and beard and the metal shirt again. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul.